0: KYW original podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is one on one. I obviously, a local boy
1: came back home to Villanova and I always wanted to be a football coach in fifth and sixth grade. I knew exactly that that was what I wanted to be. I was fortunate. How many people know what they want to do in fifth or sixth grade? But for me, I always knew this was what I wanted to do.
0: And our guest this week is longtime Villanova head football coach Andy Talley, who retired a few years ago after 32 seasons as the head man on the main line. And coach, thanks for coming in.
1: My pleasure. Hey, it's always great to be in Philly and talking sports and football, especially
0: Villanova football. You're retired from football coaching, but you are by no means taking it easy. Uh, you, what are you filling your days with these days with your foundation?
1: Well, the uh, Andy Tally Bone Marrow Foundation is something that I ran when I was still coaching at Villanova, and uh, now that I'm actually there full-time, uh, we are just doing unbelievable work. Uh, we have about 150 college football programs that work with me on a daily basis, doing bone marrow drives around the country. Uh, UCLA, Chip Kelly uh, jumped on last year with me. Uh, Michigan State uh, has been with us for a couple of years. And, you know, we have the Ivy League schools and a lot of the 1AA schools, a lot of the Division three schools as well, doing bone marrow drives. Um, we've put about 110,000 people on the donor list uh, in the last seven or eight years, and the beat goes on. We have 550 bone marrow transplants that we're responsible for, that we're so pleased that we could save lives doing what we do. So for Andy Talley, college football is the mainstay, uh, but I can still be involved with the bone marrow program and incorporate both of them. So it's been a great marriage.
0: And it's amazing to me because I've done a lot of stories on, I actually just a week or so ago did one on a kid from Penn who was matched. And you almost hear these stories, and I don't want to say they're routine, but you hear a lot of these great stories with local college football players specifically being matched. And this all started, this was your brainchild. Kind of talk about the origin of this, because if I remember correctly from an earlier conversation we had, you just heard on the radio that there was a shortage of marrow donors and you thought, what can I do to help, right?
1: Actually, the player from Penn is one of our kids. Uh, He's a terrific young man. And uh, Yale was playing University of Pennsylvania this past season. I happened to be at the game, and Yale had a donor as well as Penn had a donor, took a picture with both kids. Can you imagine that? You're in the middle of two guys that saved a life, and you were part of their experience because Yale – and Penn both do marrow drives with me. So uh, it, it's, been, it's been incredible. But the brainchild for me was 5.30 in the morning driving to Villanova getting ready for practice, and I heard an oncologist come on talking about uh, there were no donors. At that time, there were only a million donors uh, on the donor list. Now there are 20 million So I went like, wow, I can do something about that. I've got 90 healthy football players. I can get involved. So I contacted a couple of folks and said, look, we'll do a drive at Villanova. Then I asked some of the local college coaches to get involved with me. And the next thing you know, we had 10 teams. Then we had 20 teams. Then we had 40 teams. Then we had 80 teams. Now 150. So the beat goes on. Uh, It's great stuff. And being able... To uh, get the power of college football behind you is, is incredible. And then once one of the universities that works with us has a lifesaver, somebody who donates and saves a life, now you got them. And it's just a great, great story. And uh, how wonderful to take the terrific sport of football and use it for good.
0: So let's talk about the football career. You grew up around here. You went to Haverford High School, correct? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Southern Connecticut State, played football there. Was coaching always something you figured would, whenever you were done playing, was going to be the next step?
1: Yeah, I obviously, a local boy, came back home to Villanova, and just a tremendous story for me. But I always wanted to be a football coach in fifth and sixth grade. I knew exactly that that was what I wanted to be. So it was... A labor of love, and I was fortunate. How many people know what they want to do in fifth or sixth grade? But for me, I always knew this was what I wanted to do. I got out of college immediately, became a high school football coach for two years, jumped into college, and the beat went on after that.
0: When was the first time, as you're climbing the ladder as a coach, that you really were like, I'm pretty good at this. I can make this my career i 've always wanted to do it now i 'm marrying that with i 've got the ability to do it, and we 're going to go forward from there
1: well, I think the most important thing in in coaching for sure is to be able to win because if you win, you can stay and you can keep <laughs> your job so uh, uh, I had an alum that worked with me uh, at Brown University uh, back in the day when I was in the Ivy League, and he put this sign over my phone when he came into my house to visit. Win. Losers get fired. (laughs) And you know what? That was my motivation for all of the years that I was in coaching. Uh, Luckily, I never got fired, and um, I was able to continue to coach and do what I do. But, of course, you know, you have to be lucky. You need good players, and you need to win. And
0: uh, we were able to do that. The first head coaching job was St. Lawrence, correct?
1: Yes, St. Lawrence, a little Division three school in upstate New York. Uh, that was the first opportunity I had to find out if I was good enough to be a college football coach. I spent five years there uh, as the head coach, and then Villanova had dropped football in 1980 and decided to bring it back in 1984. So when I knew they were bringing football back, Uh, I got involved and applied for the job and was very, very fortunate to get the job. I mean, it was a dream come true. Hometown boy comes back home, uh, takes a program to build from scratch. Uh, I didn't have to follow anybody. I could build the program the way I wanted. So it was just an incredible opportunity for Andy Talley.
0: So that first season when you come in, They had, why did they drop in 80? Was it financial or just they wanted to scale back from where they were?
1: Yeah, I think many reasons, but Villanova actually uh, never increased the size of their football stadium. It seats 15,000. And as one, Division I football became bigger and bigger, new stadiums, more facilities, that stadium stayed the same. So what Villanova did to make money was play all their games away. They would only play two or three games. Locally, and then they'd play on the road all the time, which is a killer for any college football team. So they never made the commitment to continue to get bigger time as they did in basketball. And you know, you can understand it. Back in the day, uh, Villanova really could have been Notre Dame. They, if they'd have done what they should have done back in the day, they could have been Notre Dame of the East without question. Uh, and so, unfortunately. Um, The folks decided that in order to stop the drain of money, uh, they would just be a basketball school. Well, thank goodness for a great group of alumni. Charlie Johnson, who played at uh, West Catholic, a local All-American football player, uh, was uh, a part of the uh, bringing back of Villanova football. So many of the alumni fought for four years. To bring it back, they had this big event with Bob Hope back in the day. They raised $50,000, $100,000, and they gave the money back to Villanova, and that's how football was reincarnated, and Andy Talley was the guy who had this great opportunity to take the program and see what we
0: could do with it. So where do you start when you're building from scratch like that? What what, what are the first couple of steps? Well, Obviously, it was
1: extremely important uh, to figure out where you could recruit and how you could get players to come to Villanova. So I had spoken to them very hard about, we need to play scholarship football. And at that time, 1AA football, which is now FCS football, uh, was developing. So it was the perfect location, 63 scholarships, not 85 in Division One, but 63, and an opportunity to attract some really, really good players. So we started locally uh, to build our name, and then I had this grand idea because I coached in the Ivy League. I wanted to recruit nationally. So I went to California, uh, I went to the Midwest, uh, a little bit in Florida, and you know, all of a sudden you take a look and you have a Brian Finnerin. Uh, who played with the Atlanta Falcons and was fr- from California. Uh, Brian Westbrook, uh, who played with the Eagles in, uh, down in, in Maryland. So we spread our wings because Villanova was getting a bigger, bigger name. Every year, the university started to grow, and I really wanted to capture that. So for me, national recruiting was what we needed to do to bring this program back to where it should be.
0: What were the biggest challenges that first year? I mean, it's got to be exciting because you've got the blank slate, but I'm sure starting from scratch you probably had situations that you couldn't kind of plan for, right? Well,
1: we wanted to get into a league. Uh, We were extremely fortunate to have the old Yankee Conference take us in. So those were basically New England-based football schools, but then Delaware went into the Yankee Conference Villanova went into the Yankee Conference. JMU uh, moved into the old Yankee Conference. So now what used to be a New England league uh, spanned itself from Maine to Virginia. And now we were starting to look like a little more of a, uh, an Eastern conference with some national interest. And then, of course, when you take a look at the league, Uh, Villanova won the national championship. We won it in 2009. Delaware won it. Uh, James Madison won it. UMass won it. So now all of a sudden, you have a league in the East that's captured the imagination of the nation because they can produce the national champion from these schools in the East. So it was just a, a great, great run. And, of course, people started to come back on Saturday to be a part of what we were doing, and the Philly Press was great to me. Uh, I tell you, you know, the Philly Press sometimes gets a bad rep because they feel they they beat people up and they can be rough on coaches. They were great to me. Uh, I dealt with some tremendous sports writers over time, Uh, you being one of the great guys that followed our program, always had wonderful things to say. and. I think they embraced Villanova and college football, and it was just very, very helpful to be, you know, in the Philadelphia area with the tremendous football that's in the area as well, in Pennsylvania, but also the national image uh, that we developed.
0: So you really, it was pretty rapid that you had the program playing at a high level, and you mentioned Fennerin and you had a handful, you had a lot of great players come through, but you had a handful of transformative players and Brian Finneran I would say is probably the first one when you're recruiting him do you look at him like this is a kid that could really be kind of a foundation piece for the program or did how good he turned out to be uh, you know winning the Walter Payton award and all did did he even exceed your expectations
1: well there's always an interesting story behind every recruit in the case of Brian Finneran uh, he had a twin brother Brad And Brian was offered at a couple of Pac-10 schools, um, but they wouldn't take his brother, Brad. And he wanted to be with his twin brother. And I saw him and I said, I'll take you and your brother. Uh, And the brother was good, uh, but Brian was an elite player. So we got the package. We took both of them and they turned down um, Oregon, Oregon State, a couple of big schools out there. And we ended up getting both of them. Uh, and that was the first really big name football player that we were able to attract. And then, of course, you know, the Brian Westbrook story uh, is an interesting one because when you take a look at Brian Westbrook, uh, Brian Westbrook was out his senior year. He only played two games. Uh, and Stan Drayton, who's the offensive coordinator uh, at Uh, Texas now, was recruiting for me at the time, and he said, you got to see this kid. So, you know, I saw him on tape, and I wasn't that excited about him because he had not played his senior year, and I said, I don't think so. And he goes, well, look, this kid's a great player. you you got to see him. I said, you know what? You know, he's 5'8", you know, 170 pounds, uh, hurt his whole senior year. I'm not sure. Um, So I wouldn't offer him. That shows you how much I knew about college football, right? So he said, well, come down and see him play basketball. He's the point guard uh, for DeMatha High School, which, as you know, is a world-class power in high school basketball play. So I went down. uh, So Brian comes out of the locker room leading the basketball team on the court, does a whirly bird and dunks the ball over his back. I went like, okay, let's go. And and he goes, well, wait a minute. Aren't you going to watch him play? I, said, I don't need to see him play. Uh, I, I, I'm good. We're going to take him. And, of course, the rest is history. Came in, started for four years.
0: Um, phenomenal player. Was he someone like you get him and you see that, you've got him in the fold. So that first camp leading up to his freshman year, do you realize this is a kid that we're going to have to build the whole offense around.
1: Yeah, it was obvious. Uh, and we had some terrific players when when he was there. I mean, w- we had, uh, you know, Brian and we had Brian Finneran as well uh, and just some terrific players uh, during that time frame. But you could see that there was nobody that could do what he could do. Uh, and I would have to say, uh, of all the years that I coached, Um, he's the first and only player that you could watch practice or play in a game and you would just sit back and marvel at how did he do that? I can't believe he could make that catch or make that move or make that block or he was just uh, an incredible college football player with a skill set that was beyond anything that, that I had ever seen before. Sometimes you almost didn't have to block for him, which is hard to believe, but it's true. He'd find daylight somewhere, and he was so quick. He could go straight ahead and make a 90-degree cut at full speed,
0: and, you know, nobody I knew could do that. So he gets drafted by the Eagles. Did they reach out to you beforehand at just kind of being so close and stuff like that? Like, hey, you know, what can you tell us?
1: I think it's interesting uh, Andy Reid, I really have a lot of respect for. I like Andy Reid. Uh, and uh, Andy was a man of few words. And so uh, he was at a banquet, and I was at a banquet one time, and I wasn't big on pushing our kids that way. I wanted them to get an education. If they played college, pro ball, that was great. If not, I wanted them to have a degree. So uh, I saw Andy, and and I walked past him, and I said, uh, Coach, just want to let you know, uh, our number 20 is very special. And he looked at me and winked and never said a word, never said a word. Now, there's a guy who kept his cards close to the vest. Uh, so apparently they had done a lot of homework on him because I didn't really spend a lot of time with the Eagles. You didn't have to. I mean, all you do is look at all our tape, and uh, you, you could tell that he could play. But the big concern – uh, and still is, is, well, it's 1AA football. You know, it's, it's not big-time football. And also, he was small. I mean, he was 5'9", 185 pounds. So all those things uh, were not attractive to the pro people. But because he was local, and the Eagles saw him game after game after game after game. I mean, this kid rushed for a 1,000 yards— in a season, he received for a thousand yards in a season, and he returned kickoffs for a thousand yards. Three thousand yards in one season, nobody has
0: ever done that. I mean, they did their homework. So you have a lot of success. We talk about Thinnerin, we talk about Westbrook, and then you have guys like Matt Caesar come through, you have guys like John Robertson, but Matt Caesar's part of the 2009 national championship team. Going into that year, you you had the program at such a high level wherever you had to feel like if things go well, we could make a run at it. Was there anything special in 2009 that that made you think like this could be our year or can you not really think like that going into a season?
1: I really felt like we had a superb team coming back and I thought that uh, we certainly had the ability to be A national champion, uh, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, And we played an early game uh, up at New Hampshire, and we got beat. And it was a noon game, and we had played five night games prior to that game. So every game was seven o'clock at night. And I kept telling the team all week, We are going to play at noon. Now that means your clock has to change, you have to be ready right coach, right coach, right coach. You know, they didn't listen to me. So we get on the field, you know, they're sleepy-eyed. New Hampshire scores two touchdowns. It's 14 nothing before you can blink. Anyway, we fought our way back. We lost the game, I think, 24 uh, to, to 14. And I never have done this in my whole career up until that point. Got him in the locker room. Locked the doors, and the language that came out of that locker room, I would be embarrassed if anybody ever heard. At the top of my lungs, I ripped them for ten minutes, like I'd never ripped a team in my life. I never bother a team after a loss or a win. I'll talk to them on Sunday. This day, I because I knew what we were, what we we potentially could lose, and I said, "You guys have no idea." how good we can be. You have no idea how great this program can be. You have to take this loss seriously and make sure it never happens again because we can win it all. And from that moment on, we turned it right around. We never lost another game. And then we went clear sailing through the playoffs, beat Montana in the national championship game, you know, and took home a national championship trophy uh, which is, you know, our greatest accomplishment as a staff,
0: as a program, and uh, I hope Villanova does it again soon. And Matt Caesar, I think, was kind of the guy that drove the the engine there. He just found so many creative ways. And he was a Matt Caesar's playing pro baseball now, but I think he was a kid that could have gone played pro football if he He was just a phenomenal athlete. You know, as the season's going on. How creative are you getting with getting him? Because he was like kind of taking wildcat snaps uh, at certain points, right?
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. We used him in the wildcat as well. And that's, of course, the direct snap uh, to him in the backfield. And then, you know, he can run or throw from there because he had a good arm. Uh, And he was a great athlete. Uh, He did everything for us that year. Uh, He ended up being the most valuable player in the national championship game. And certainly could have gone on and played pro football. But, of course, uh, you know, ended up winning uh, the World Series uh, with, um, tell me who we played the with. The Cubs, right? The Cubs. Yeah. Chicago Cubs, that's right. Uh, and so a great person, great player, uh, maybe the best all-around football player uh, that I had in my uh, 32 years. So when I think of the great players that I've had, um, you know, Curtis Eller, uh, one of the great, Linebackers of all time to ever play. Uh, Matt Caesar fits right in there, Brian Westbrook, um, uh, Brian Finnerin, and then John Robertson. Uh, now, there were many great players that I'm leaving out, but those five nationally were so incredibly special. And then you'd have to mention Ben Igelana, who has played pro football for 10 years, plays for the New York Jets big offensive lineman, but, you know, those guys never get the notoriety that they should. You get the running back, the wide out, the quarterback, and here's a guy like Ben who uh, started 56 games in his career, freshman through his senior year, and then went on to play pro football, was a magnificent offensive lineman.
0: We have to take a break now on one-on-one more with former Villanova football coach Andy Talley right after this. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting.
1: I think we forget that you came from somewhere
0: else, too. Host Jerry Gregg walks you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. And we are back with former Villanova head football coach Andy Talley on -on one-on-one. So let's talk about the national championship game. You beat Montana 2009. What are your thoughts going into that? I mean, obviously, you think you've got a good chance, but did you really like the matchup? I really liked the matchup. Uh, I felt like they uh, had not
1: seen the kind of offense that we run. Uh, I didn't think that they uh, had the opportunity to play against the skill set that we had. And also defensively, uh, we we ran a 3-4 defense. Um, They were seeing 4-3 defenses their whole season. So unless you've really programmed and schemed against a 30 defense, um, it's different no matter what you think. It's a completely different look. So I felt we had a real advantage there. Um, in terms of what we did offensively and defensively. And I also felt that we had a quarterback that was a winner in Chris Whitney. uh, And Chris uh, had found a lot of ways for us to win with, with that football team. There were some interesting things that happened along the way, which people listening might be interested in. During the season... There were things that happen that are a little spooky every now and then. But we would have in the fall over our stadium a lot of, you know, a, a lot of birds would come flying over the stadium. And every time a lot of the geese would come over, they would fly over in the form of a V. So I would stop practice and i pointed point to the kids up in the sky and I'd go, look, look, look. It's a sign. The V is over the stadium. And they would look at me like, this guy's crazy, you know? So two or three times it would happen during the season, they'd all laugh and, you know, look up and stuff like that, right? And then toward the end of the season, a couple of players would come up to me and go, Coach, Coach, look, up the V. And then I'd stop practicing, and they started to buy in to the V. So we get down there, and we're practicing two days before the national championship game in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And darn if a couple of, you know, sections of geese fly over in the form of a V. So I just stop practice, point up to the V, and the kids just start shaking their head. They go, yep. I go, hey, it's a sign. It's a sign. All right, so then um, at one of the practices, they were going to parachute the game ball in and so they were practicing while we were doing a walkthrough. And the airplane came over the stadium, and seven guys jumped out of the airplane. And one guy had the ball. And, you know, they tethered themselves down onto the football field, and their parachutes were blue and white, which are Villanova's colors. So I grabbed the players and I go, Look, I said, it's a sign. Look, blue and white parachutes. We can't lose this game. You know, the, you know, the signs are out there. And uh, there was one other thing that happened, and I can't remember. But it was crazy. And uh, so the karma for that game was perfect. And if you remember, when you watch the game, we played poorly in the first half. And we were down by, I think, six at halftime. So we got into the locker room. Quietest locker room I'd ever seen. It was all very businesslike, uh, and, and, and uh, nobody was upset. Um, you know, I just said, we're, you know, we're still in the game. We're fine. No problem. Uh, we came out in the second half. Um, and during the first half, they had a receiver that played in the NFL by the name of Mariani. Uh, he had 12 catches in the first half. Twelve catches. In the first half, one receiver. And so I said to our uh, defensive coordinator, uh, Mark Reardon, I go, Mark, what's the story? He goes, Coach, we can't stop him. We we can't stop him. So we're going to change our coverage, you know, and we're going to play uh, zone. I go, we played man to man all year. I said, can we play zone? He goes, I don't know, but we're going to switch to a zone. I went, okay. And so second half, we shut Mariani out. He doesn't make a catch. Uh, and then we just sort of ran over him a little bit in the second half and won the game really kind of going away.
0: When Was, the mo- was there a moment when you look up, you look at the clock, you look at the situation like, we're going to do it. We're going to win the national championship. And what did that feel like when that clock hit zero?
1: Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I think I was 63, uh, years old when we won that. So I I was toward the end of my career, although I coached for 10 more years, (laughs) but, um, I, 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 I really felt like, you know what, um, finally after 25 years at Villanova and I was there for 32, uh, that we finally have won this national championship that, has slipped away from me before because we had opportunities prior to that. Uh, and the year after, we had another opportunity to do it again. Uh, but Caesar got hurt, and that kind of wrecked us toward the end. But um, to know that you could take a school that basically is known for basketball and all of a sudden thrust them into the very echelon of mid-sized college football That's pretty great stuff. Uh, And it was, um, you know, uh, so many people, so many alumni, so many former players, so many coaches were a part of that and the wives and families and my wife and my family and my kids that all sacrificed for all of us to do what we did was, you know, it's, it's a once in a lifetime experience. Uh, and a lifetime uh, opportunity and you know one of the funny things about that we went back to the hotel Um, I had a very long press conference the longest press conference ever my wife and I came back from the press conference to the locker room locker room doors were locked lights in the stadium were out everybody was gone and the bus was gone and I'm like What? (laughs) So we walked from the stadium back to the hotel, which was about a 40-minute walk. And everybody was partying and so on and so forth. And so, you know, we got into the festivities. And then there was a huge snowstorm coming up the East Coast. And the pilot came to us and said, they're going to close the airport in Philly. We got to leave as soon as we can. Well, you know, people have been drinking all night. You know, it's been a fun night. It's 2 or 3 in the morning. And the plane's going to take off at 8 o'clock in the morning. So we had to gather all the players up, gather everybody up, and rush to the airport to get on the plane. We fly into Philly. We're the last plane in the airport. They close the airport. We land six inches of snow. We get off the plane. Everybody schleps through the snow to the parking lot, gets the snow off their cars, drives back to Villanova. We get back to Villanova, not a soul, nobody, no students, nobody. School was closed because it was in the middle of the first and second semester. Snowstorm. And that was the return of a national championship team to Villanova <laughs> Stadium with nobody there. It was crazy. <laughs>
0: I mean, obviously the the national championship, but with 32 years, with all the success, with all the kids, what do you look at your football legacy as?
1: Well, for me, it was always about education. Uh, That was what I wanted, Uh, and I knew I was at a school that cherished that reputation. I wanted 100% graduation rate, and we had that. Any kid that played for me for four years and stayed, graduated. Um, I wanted to do it right. Uh, it was a clean program. We never cheated. Um, we did things right. Uh, and the players were held to a very high uh, high esteem. They were held to a high level. And that was, that was critically important. We gave that university what they wanted. They wanted great kids, great football players, and great students. And that's what we gave them. And that's hard to do. Uh, that's really hard to do. Now, we weren't great every year. But we were pretty good. And so I think if you can do that uh, and make sure that that family atmosphere that a lot of teams talk about today, but we truly had a family atmosphere of Villanova football player comes back to Villanova football now, he knows that the family that he was part of is still there. And now Mark Ferrani is the head coach at Villanova. Mark was with me, played for me at St. Lawrence, coached at Villanova with me for 28 years now running the program. So the beat goes on. So when I left Villanova and retired, I was hoping that Mark would get the job so that my uh, style and and what I had firmly believed in, Mark firmly believed on, and and would continue. And so now you have a program that's been there 37, 38 years with, with the same mentorship.
0: And let's wrap things up, taking it back where we started, talking about the the bone marrow transplants and the donor list. Uh, if someone's interested in becoming a a, a possible donor, getting on the uh, the registry, what do they have to do? It's I've done it myself. It's incredibly simple.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly simple, and uh, you know all they have to do is contact me uh, at my foundation. It's uh, tallybone marrow dot org. That's really it. Tallybone marrow dot org. And I can let them know where marrow drives are going to be. We have a marrow drive every year at Villanova uh, in the spring around spring practice. Um, But the age limit now is 18 to 44. So they lowered that age limit um, because most of the donors that are being called are in that group of 18 to 24 in the male population. Why men over women? Is there's more bone marrow because a 200-pound guy has more marrow than a 114-pound woman. So, uh, But we still need donors, and we need more African-American donors. So anybody that's interested, contact me, tallybonemarrow.org. And, you know, we have a big bash every year. We'd love you to think about attending that. Uh, we have two golf tournaments. So you can find Andy Tally. He's easy to find. Uh, And we're saving lives. And this is really um, my legacy. You know, college football was great. I love being a college football coach. But I love saving lives, man. That's what we're about.
0: Andy Talley, thanks so much for stopping by. This was fun.
1: My pleasure, Matt. Thank you.
0: And that will do it for another episode. One on One is an original KYW News Radio sports podcast. If you like the show and want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Many thanks to former Villanova head football coach Andy. Andy Tally for joining us this week. You can find out more about his foundation. Go to tallybonemarrow.org My name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.